it's really good to be able to be with you tonight in your presence and in his presence and you know he's really here he really is uh, and last week we began a three-week series called a vision of hope and um, I just took it upon myself as a pastor just spent some time in prayer last year the end of last year and the beginning of this year and just really seeking God for direction for this year not just in teaching but in just in church and in who we are and what we should aim for what what does he want us to particularly focus on this year and so it was a vision of hope and so really the first thing the first thing was and this came like that when I said Lord what do you want us to focus on he said me <laughs> so that's the H <laughs> him so and and so Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength, everything that you've got. And from that love relationship with him, naturally we leak his love towards others. And so we, we can strive to love others with our own love and that goes so far. Like I've seen, I've, I've heard stories of people who have done amazing things to show love towards others, but it wasn't God's actual love. And so that love only goes so far, you know, to the people that deserve it or the people that need it or, you know, and the people that we like or make us feel good. And, and not to diminish that love because it's really great. I'm thinking of ex examples, you know, like um, my mechanic, him and his wife have decided to adopt children because they've got a spare room in their house and they just love to help. Like that just blows my mind. Like that someone who's not a Christian who would just think that's a great thing to do. They've got kids of their own, but they just want to help, you know, and that's love. But God's love goes even further than that. Like it loves the unlovable. It loves the unlovely. It loves the ones who still haven't responded and probably won't respond to the love that God has revealed. And ultimately, last week, we, we looked at how God has revealed his love to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And so H, vision of hope, stands for H, H stands for him. O stands for others. So we're to love others with the love that God has for us, you know, and that'll just mess up people. Just love them the way God loves them. They'll look at you funny. They'll think, well, what's wrong with that person? Why are they like that? Why are they so nice? What's going on? What's the catch? You know, but love them. Just continue to leak God's love to the, to the people around us, all right, for 12 months. And then after 12 months, you can stop because it's not the vision. <laughs> just kidding. Okay, see, see there's 23 and 24 up there as well. So keep, keep doing that. But don't try, surrender to God's love and allow him to love through you to others. So tonight we're looking at P and I've cheated because P stands for two things starting with P. And I believe that they're really super important when it comes to church. Now, they are prayer and praise. Prayer and praise. The reading that Naomi read to us earlier was... The dedication of a, well, after the dedication of a temple, of uh, the temple that Solomon built, God had. Uh, let's turn there. Actually, let's turn to two chronicles again. Two chronicles, chapter seven and verse eleven. We see what happens here is that um, Solomon is um, he's just completed the temple. 
and uh, in verse 12, then one night the Lord appeared to Solomon. Now the inference here is that it's in a dream. Okay, One night the Lord appeared to Solomon and said, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this temple as the place for making sacrifices. At times I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls or command grasshoppers to devour your crops. This is God doing it, right? Or send plagues among you. Then if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and will restore their land. He goes on, my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. Now, this is this is a great passage that comes up every time there's some kind of prayer gathering into you know across denominations. This comes especially in Australia. I'm not sure if it's a worldwide thing as well. It probably is, but this passage comes up quite a lot in the last little while in Australia uh, in terms of prayer and how it's not just God doing business and us not doing anything or us just praying and God not listening to us. It's both working at the same time. It's it's us humbling ourselves. It's us praying and seeking his face and him responding by forgiving and restoring and bringing what he brings, which is life. Jesus talked about the temple. Now, this temple here, um, it's, it was a place where people would come and you know give sacrifice and worship. All right. Now, Jesus talked about a temple. In fact, he was at the temple one day. And when he went into the temple, he went into a particular area called the, the Court of the Gentiles. Now, and you probably don't, I don't know if anyone here knows what a Gentile is. It's not like, you know, the ladies and the Gentiles. You go to the toilet, it's not that. It's, so Gentile is just a, a term that would be um, a foreigner that wasn't an Israelite, basically, all right, in the Bible. So someone who wasn't under like the covenant of Abraham and, and David or, or whatever, all of those promises that God had given to the particular group of is, the people, Israelite, Israel, anyone outside of that would be a Gentile or a foreigner. But God has always been a God for the nations. God, God loves the nations. You know, I used to think that the Old Testament was God loving Israel and then Israel loving people because God found it hard to love other people. But it's not true. God loves everyone and he, and he chose Israel to reveal his love, true, to the people around. And they, they stuffed up, but they did their best. But eventually, Jesus comes along. Um, and so, sorry, and in the temple, there'd be a section there where Gentiles could come and worship God. Because God wanted them to come and seek him. Turn with me to Isaiah 55, if you know where that is. Isaiah 55. So it's after Psalms and Proverbs and um, Elastics. And it's before Jeremiah and Malachi. Isaiah 55. And we'll see some of God's heart for his people. All right, this is what he wants for his people. Isaiah 55 verse 1 says, this is God speaking through the prophet Isaiah, is anyone thirsty, come and drink. Even if you have no money, 
Come, take your choice of wine or milk. It's free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen to me and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen and you will find life. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. I will give you all the unfailing love I promised to David. And he continues on. This is God revealing, showing his heart for Israel, for the people that he'd chosen as a special, peculiar people, the Bible says, of his own to reveal him, him to the nations, right? I want you to skip over a chapter. We're going to cheat. We're going to chapter 56 of the same book, Isaiah, Isaiah 56. And this is God's heart for the nations or foreigners or Gentiles, or us, probably, unless there's some people here that are Jewish. Verse 1 of chapter 56. This is what the Lord says. Must be important, right? Be just and fair to all. Do what is right and good, for I am coming soon to rescue you, to re display my righteousness among you. To display my righteousness among you. Have a guess who he might be alluding to there. Christ. The righteousness of God in Christ. Right? Among you. Verse 2. Blessed are all those who are careful to do this. Blessed are those who honour my Sabbath days of rest and keep themselves from doing wrong. Verse 3, Don't let foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord say, The Lord will never let me be part of his people. And don't let the eunuchs say, I'm a dried up tree with no children and no future. Now you know what foreigners are, right? Foreigners are the people that were outside, like technically outside of the promises through you know, over Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, outside of the promises through David, outside of the promises. They're foreigners, right? But if they want to come to God, God's saying, don't let the foreigners say, I'm not part of this group. Don't let them say to themselves, the Lord will never let me be part of his people. All right? Why? Because God wants everyone to come to him. And don't let the eunuchs say, now, hands up if you don't know what a eunuch is. All right, now it's not, it's not a corn-free unicorn. It is a person, particularly a male, who, has, who is unable to have children, all right, for one reason or another, all right, unable to reproduce children. Now, what does God say to these particular people? He says, don't let these people say, I am a dried-up tree with no children and no future, all right? Now, Back in the Old Testament, in that culture especially, your children would re reciprocate, no, reciprocate, would would echo your name into the future. All right, the generations to come would 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 um, honor your name. Even if you were to die, if you had children, they would carry your name. All right, your reputation into the future. All right. Now these poor men who were unable to have children to be honored for generations to come. They couldn't be honoured for generations to come. So they would think, oh, I'm no use to anybody. Now, God says, you're very useful to me. He says, don't, don't say I'm a dried up tree with no children in the future. For this is what the Lord says. And this is what he says about the eunuchs. 
I will bless those eunuchs who keep my Sabbath days holy and who choose to do what pleases me and commit their lives to me. I will give them within the walls of my house a memorial and a name far greater than sons and daughters could give. For the name I give them is an everlasting one, an everlasting name. It will never disappear. What a promise. So he goes on to the foreigners. I will also bless the foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord, who serve him and love his name, who worship him and do not desecrate the Sabbath day of rest and who hold fast to my covenant. I will bring them to my holy mountain of Jerusalem and will fill them with joy in my house of prayer. In other words, they're belonging. They're part of the crew. They don't have to have a weird last name like all the other Israelites. They can just be part of the crew because they have the one God, right? And he says, I will fill them with joy in my house of prayer. I will accept their burnt offerings, sorry, their burnt offerings and sacrifices because my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. All nations. All of them. Every single night, a house of prayer for all nations. There we go. House of prayer, of prayer for everyone. House of prayer for all nations. And Jesus got really, really upset one day. In fact, it was one of the only times we see Jesus angry. And he was angry when he walked into the temple courts. Into the So the temple was, was set up where there would be outside courts where Gentiles who are non-Jewish could come and worship God. They could, they could pray in that particular area and it would be dedicated just for them to come and worship God. All right, bring their sacrifices. and Anyway, Jesus turns up to the temple one day and what he finds is people, money changes, all right? Now they're exchanging money, right? Why do you think they're doing that? Because there's foreigners coming in with different currency. And so they would come in and then people would purchase sacrifice, sacrificial animals, because they didn't want to bring them with them from wherever they were coming from. They would buy the animals at the, at the, at the location and then they would pass them on to the priest or whoever was going to do it and they would have their sacrifices done. Now Jesus comes into this scenario, into this scene where people are getting ripped off. And there's and instead of being a serene place where men and women could spend their time focusing on the Lord heart to heart, there was a whole lot of clash and clamour and there was busyness and there was there was people getting ripped off and there was people being greedy and it was just and it was not what his heart was his heart was for the nations to come to him and jesus said to the religious people who should have known better in that location he said you have turned my house of prayer into a den of robbers my house is to be a house of prayer now it's really cool that I could preach tonight. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to do that. But church is not a house of preaching. And also, Naomi read us the Bible before. Church is not a house of reading the Bible. Church, by the way, is not a temple. <laughs> but, but if we're to meet together, and if we don't pray, then, we're, then what's the point? We're just having a, an auxiliary meeting. Let's have a meeting about business, you know. But if we're not going to connect our hearts to the to the Father's heart and pray, then let's not call it church. 
Because for me, if, if we're going to be a church in this town, he has to come first, him. And from that relationship with him, we're obviously loving others because that's his heart for them too. And to maintain those two things, we have to pray. We have to keep in touch with him to hear what he's saying, to hear where he's calling us, to, see, to, to, to talk with him, to communicate with him, and to hear what he's saying to us too. This temple that, um, that we're talking about here in 2 Chronicles and in Isaiah, it's just a picture of what's to come, right? It's really interesting because when Jesus was talking about his temple being a house of prayer for all nations, he was actually, it was like the temple was standing in the temple. Do you know John's gospel, when John writes the gospel, he doesn't start with the birth account. He doesn't start where Jesus was born. Um, he doesn't start with his baptism. He starts with the word of God becoming flesh and tabernacling among us. Now, this word tabernacle is is a word that we get from... Actually, let me turn um, to... Uh, no, no, yeah, John chapter 1. Um, it says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, I don't know if the New Living Translation has it as, the, as tabernacle, but... Um, In verse 14, John writes, So the word, speaking of Jesus, the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. He made his home among us. So the, in the Old Testament, the tabernacle was a place where people would bring sacrifices and they'd worship. Now, when Jesus came... Um, he, he actually came as the presence of God. You know, you, would, you, you could go to the tabernacle in the Old Testament and go to the presence of God. You could go to where he was. He was situated in the Holy of Holies. He would, he would reveal himself to the priest there, uh, and that's where he was between the wings of the, ser- of the, the angels. And that's where his presence was, in one place. Then God decided to send Jesus to earth to be with us. God loved the world so much that he sent his son to us, to to tabernacle among us. Jesus himself spoke of of himself, his, his own body as the temple. He said to the religious people of the day, he said, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. And he was not speaking of a building, he was speaking of his body. Um, this place here is a room. Now, I'm so glad that we hire a room because so many times, and I, and I think it's something that we as a church don't struggle with, all right? But so many times people use the phrase go to church or go into the house of God as if, as if when we enter through the doorway, we're coming to his presence like the temple in the Old Testament. Like as if we're coming to the house of God, as if God lives there, and then when we leave, God stays there. That's not true. All right, we know that. We know that. But but I've grown up in a culture that tends towards that way of thinking. That when we come to 
to this place on a Sunday at a particular time, or on a we're, we're coming into the presence of God. Amen. But it's not true, all right? I'm just, the Bible doesn't tell us that, all right? He doesn't, he doesn't live in houses made by people. We can't build something tremendous enough for God to choose to dwell in it. Stephen is one of my favourite disciples. Thank you, Lord, for that. Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, we see Stephen, and he is um, he's being stared down for his faith in Jesus Christ as the Messiah. And a lot of, some people aren't liking it. And I won't go through the whole sermon of, uh, of Stephen's, but if you, if you come with me down to um, verse 44, we see Stephen saying these words. All right? He's speaking to religious people, okay? religious leaders. He says, Our ancestors, verse 44, carried the tabernacle with them, with them through the wilderness. It was constructed according to the plan God had shown to Moses. Years later, when Joshua led our ancestors into battle against the nations that God drove out of this land, the tabernacle was taken with them into their new territory, and it stayed there until the time of King David. David found favour with God and asked for the privilege of building a permanent temple for the, for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who actually built it, and that's our reading for tonight. Verse 48, however, the Most High doesn't live in temples made by human hands. As the prophet says, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Could you build me a temple as good as that? Asked the Lord. Could you build me such a resting place? Didn't my hands make both heaven and earth? You stubborn people. You are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. Must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? That's what your ancestors did, and so do you. And he goes on. No wonder he gets stoned, right? Like, that's not very nice stuff to say to people that have stones in their hands. But Stephen is talking about the temple and the presence of God. And now, now when Jesus came, he came as the presence of God. Fully God and fully man, all right? That God tabernac tabernacling among us. And, and Jesus came and he said, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again. And then he sent, after he rose back to life again, he breathed on his disciples and said, peace be with you, as the Father sends me, I'm sending you. Now, speaking of temples, see... Jesus wasn't just the temple. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 3.16. We've got a bit of a... Last week we were looking at 1 John 3.16, and I think the week before we were looking at John 3.16. So now we're looking at 1 Corinthians 3.16. So if anyone's got a 3.16 verse, we'll look at it another time. But in, in 1 Corinthians 3.16, Paul writes to the church. He says, Don't you realise that all of you together are the temple of God and that the spirit of God that the spirit of God lives in you God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple 
for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. I'm just going to be Queenslander just for about 20 seconds, okay? This is how this is how it reads in the Greek. Don't use realize that all of you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God lives in you. God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. It's, it's talking collectively, right? I love, thank you for that privilege. I just love, I love speaking like that. <laughs> you are that temple. Collectively, the church, the people, is the temple of God. If, if human beings couldn't create something with engineering and the, the most brilliant minds of, of all eternity, if they couldn't create something good enough for God to dwell in, guess who could create something good enough for God to dwell in? God, exactly. Who's, who's created in his image today? You know, we look in the mirror and we think, that's, that's pointless. Or, or we, don't think, we don't look at ourselves and think, wow, this is God's creation I'm looking at. Like, it's not plugged into anything. I remember thinking that very same thing when our first child was born. I thought, that's amazing. She's not plugged into anything. Wow. I made that, but I didn't. But I helped. But it's amazing, isn't it? A human being is actually amazing. And God, God decided to dwell in a human being by his Holy Spirit. And we think, oh, no, it's not that special. But God couldn't find anything more special that he created than a human being. It's awesome to think about that. And together, as human beings believing in Jesus Christ, we are the church. You are the church. You, you're, a, you're part of a bigger use. We're all part of a bigger use, right? The church of Jesus Christ in all of history. Sometimes we've messed up. But anyway, um, let's go over. While we're in 1 Corinthians, let's go to chapter 6 and in verse 19, in a different context, he's in the, it's in the context of avoiding sexual sin. But the same kind of principle applies because he mentions the temple and uh, here we go. Um, 1 Corinthians 6, 19, he says to them, don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? This is a singular thing, right? Who lives in you and was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a price, which was the blood of Christ. So you must honor God with your body. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's not to big note anybody, all right? That's, that's, that's actually quite a humbling thing if you think about it, that God would choose to be in you by his Holy Spirit. But that's the love of God. And, and prayer, his, his, his temple, his house, is to be a house of prayer. And you are that house, collectively and individually. Turn with me to two, to uh, Ephesians chapter 2. So there's a, lot of, there's a lot of scripture, which is good, isn't it? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. Let's go to verse 19. Ephesians 2, verse 19. And Paul is writing to a church that is made up of kind of 
Gentiles and Jews that have both put their faith in Jesus Christ. Okay, so he says to the Gentiles there in verse 19, So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all God's, all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family or house. Together, we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. Now, that's really amazing. Now, if God's heart was for the temple to be a place, a house of worship, not a house of worship, not, not a, a house of singing, not a house of preaching, not a house of scripture reading, although all those things are good and they should happen when the church meet together, the, the house, God's house, is to be a house of prayer. Now, prayer, prayer is fundamental to church. You, you can't call it a church if there's no prayer. There's a great book called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. Who's heard of it? It's by a guy called Jim Simbola. And the foundation of the whole book is pretty much on connecting to God through prayer and allowing God to shape you as you pray, but also to move you to, to work in the community as you continue to pray and, and, and allow God to work uh, outside of you as well. But there's this, there's this quote in there, and it's, it's really, really cool, and I'm probably going to get it wrong, but you can tell how popular a church is by who comes on a Sunday morning. You can tell how popular a pastor is by who comes on a Sunday night. You can tell how popular Jesus is by who comes to the prayer meeting. Now, my, my, my experience, which hasn't been very much in church leadership, which has been, I think, 14, 15 years or something, is that you're really, really glad to see 10% of your church at the prayer meeting. Like that's a, yeah, you don't see too much more than that, like if there is a prayer gathering. So I really want us to focus as a church on prayer this year, like not just individually, at a, in, definitely individually in our own personal quiet times, right? Wake up, pray, just connect with God. Go to sleep, pray. Pray and go to sleep while you're praying. Why not? It's good to fall in the arms of your father while you're falling asleep. Wake up. Pray. But if we're going to have a prayer gathering, I really want to challenge you all, and those that are listening as well, come along. Come along to the prayer gathering. If there's a combined church's prayer gathering, I want to see every single face there. If we want to see God move in this place around us, we first have to see God move in us. We're never going to see anything happen through us if we're not surrendered enough to him. Prayer. Prayer is important. The Bible says that we should pray continually. Pray without ceasing. Pray and never give up, Jesus said. Pray. Don't give up. Don't give up prayer. And praise. All right, praise. It's really important because praise, what praise does is it turns our heart from whatever there is to something that's way more important, someone who's way more important. God. 
You can, you can be in any situation that brings you fear or confusion or doubt or depression or pain or sadness. And the best thing that you could do is set your heart on his heart and praise him. Praise looks different. I love looking around whenever I'm up leading or if, actually I'm always up here. But I love looking around to see how people respond to God in praise. Now I'm not just talking about in a song, which is usually what you know how we praise the Lord in church, in church, when we gather together as the church, when we praise him, it's good to see different people praising him different ways. But that's not the only way we can praise the Lord. Do you know the Hebrew word for praise is halal? Not halal. You can go get a halal snack pack. That's not the same word. Hebrew word is halal. And Yahweh is the name of the Lord. And we like we put the, in the Bible often the words halal and Yahweh put together we hallelujah. All right? Hallel is praise. It's praise. But there are other ways to praise the Lord, not just, not just singing out praise the Lord. There are other ways to praise him. You can, you can play music. You can fall on your face. You can skip and dance in joy. Do you know that the Israelites, when, they, when God delivered them through the Red Sea, out of Egypt, through the Red Sea, like, could you imagine going through the middle of a sea with the walls of the water to the side, imminent death just at your door, and, and you just get through by the skin of your teeth, and then all of a sudden all the water just goes back over again, and you're over the other side, set free, and not afraid of the army coming after you. Guess what your heart's going to do in that situation? Praise the Lord. And that's what they do. They just joyfully let loose. And that's a big noise. It's a big noise. David, King David, is often looked at as a, as a real great illustration um, of mine. He was a man who, whose heart was set on the Lord. All right? And he danced before the Lord. Now, Anna's not with us tonight. She's a dancer. Anyone else here like to dance? Yeah, I saw some good. I, I saw some people dancing just last week, actually, because they were joyful about something, and that's what we do. We dance because we're joyful about something. Now I'll probably pop my hip out if I got too joyful about things, but I've done it before in my own lounge room or in my own kitchen when no one's around, because I'm so excited about what God has done in my life. I can't keep still, and maybe that's just ADHD. I don't know. But some of us, some of us like to dance. Some of us like to clap. Some of us like to go woohoo. You watch the sport. What what happens when people are joyful about something? Arms go up, you know. So I want to be a I want to be part of a church where people are free to praise the Lord however they would love to praise Him. If you would like to dance, I'm sure no one here will judge you for your dancing. All right. Even if you're a bad dancer, you know why. Because you're not dancing for me or for anyone else's approval. There's no judging panel here with, you know, Dicko and whoever else they are judging the, uh, the dancing. No one's judging dancing. It's, it's just you and the audience of one. If you want to shout and make a joyful noise to God, then no one's going to hope. No one's going to judge you for that because it's just you and, and the Lord. 
Now, I would hope that as, as we meet together that we would, I guess, be in sync with each other and, and not be rude in, in that sense. But please, if anything gets in between you, your heart, and responding to what God has done in your life, then that's, that's a wrong thing. It shouldn't be in the way. Responding to God in praise. I see us as a church with him at the centre, his love flowing through us, overflowing to people around us, maintaining that relationship with prayer and continually seeking his heart for the, for the area around us and praising him. You know, praise can also look like someone just lying, sitting on their kitchen floor in tears after the loss of somebody in their life, just saying, God, I have no idea what's going on. I'm so confused. I'm in pain. It's just... It doesn't make sense to me right now, but I praise you. You know, that's, that's praise as well. And I hope, it's a vision, it's a vision of hope that we would be a, a church like that, a church where we can not only pray to God, but allow the nations, allow the non-church people to pray to God and not let anyone or anything get in the way of that. That we would be a church where people are free to praise him, like to praise him, like to seriously praise him. Praise him like you would imagine yourself praising him when you see his face in heaven. And why wait until then? You know, your heart and my heart, our souls long for that time where we could spend with him, especially in those times where it's tough. Let's let's enter into that area of praise and just honour him and lift his name. Back to our reading and I'll close. 2 Chronicles chapter 7. I was going to read it over again, but I want you to think about the idea of the temple being God's, as God was seeing into the future, to see the temple (laughs) that you see in the mirror. All right? This is what God says. Okay? I have heard your prayer and have chosen this temple as the place for making sacrifices. At times I might shut up the heavens so that no rain falls or command grasshoppers to devour your crops or send plagues among you. Sometimes bad stuff happens. Then, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their land. My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. For I have chosen this temple and set it apart to be holy, a place where my name will be honoured forever. I will always watch over it, for it is dear to my heart. You are dear to God's heart. As you go from here tonight, I pray that each and every one of us get a real understanding of that or a glimpse of that, of how dear you are to God's heart, that he would see you as a fit structure to dwell in. And go from here knowing that his name rests upon you, that you are a representative of him in this community or wherever you come from, that you are... You are, you are 
sharing his love and his reputation to the people around you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for sending him to not only pay for our sin, but to show us what it means to live life, and live life that honours you and that makes you well-pleased. Lord, we just thank you so much, Jesus, for teaching us, Lord. Uh, thank you for showing us, Lord, um, truths that have always been through the Scriptures, but you revealed them so much more in the way that you taught and in the person that you, you are and in the things that you did. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for our sins. Thank you for rising again to new life. And thank you, Lord, that as we put our faith and trust in you, that we have the wonderful privilege of becoming your temple, a place where God is very happy to dwell by his Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, for your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you have given him to us as a down payment, guaranteeing our inheritance. And not only that, but as a help and as a guide and as a counsellor and as a comforter and as the very power of Jesus Christ in us to help us to reveal you to the people around us. Lord, help us to be places of prayer individually and as we meet together. And help us, God, to be reminded of what's really important about church this year. Lord, as we just came out of last year and all the, all the stuff that happened, we had to recalibrate what was really important with church. Lord, help us to be people of prayer. If nothing else, Lord, help us to be people who are passionately in love with you and who are hungry and thirsty to come to you and to seek your will and guidance in every situation and to praise you no matter what life might bring our way. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.